really, I think, as important as documentation is knowing what to expect. So I do want to share about what to expect if you are going through divorce you know, in family court with a narcissistic and abusive partner or ex-partner because when you know what to expect, it won't hit you as hard and you can then mitigate what comes your way. Welcome to the Rising Beyond podcast, where you can find hope and healing after a toxic or abusive relationship. I'm Sybil Cummins, a licensed professional counselor specializing in working with victims and survivors of domestic violence and narcissistic abuse, including the youngest witnesses. Over the past decade, I have been honored to witness victims move to survivors and then to thriving in their lives. If you feel alone in your healing process, are dealing with the onslaught of post-separation abuse, or just needing some validation that you are not crazy, you are in the right place. Hello and welcome to the Rising Beyond podcast. I'm Sybil Cummin, and my goal for you for this episode today is to help you with some tips on surviving family court with your abusive ex. So if you are just starting out, starting the separation process, and you will be headed to family court, I want to help you know what to expect. And if you're already in the middle of it, you've been doing this for a while, and maybe you're struggling, I want to help you find ways to end a little bit of that struggle. And, you know, it's been brought to my attention and some people have pointed out to me that really my focus needs to be on family court reform and that that needs to be my number one focus. And yes, I agree. Our family court system needs a lot of reform and that process is going to take a long time. And so I can't let those of you that are going into family court right now with your abusive partner just kind of have to grin and bear it and not offer some solutions on how to help you get through that experience. And so that is why I thought, you know what, I'm going to hop on and do an episode just specifically about this. And this could be, oh my gosh, 10 plus episodes, probably if I broke down each specific piece of the family court process. So today is going to be a little bit more of an overview of what you can expect and ways to help yourself change mindset, actual skills as you're going through the family court process with an abusive or narcissistic ex. So before you even head to the courtroom, there are a lot of things that you need to do. First, and I'm sure you've heard this before. In fact, I just ran a workshop um, this winter on this, but you need to document, document, document. And I'm not talking about documenting in a personal journal and things like that, because unfortunately, you do not want that journal to be brought into court because anything that you've said in that journal could then be right subpoenaed as a part of evidence and used against you. So you are going to get a separate planner or journal, or if you did my workshop, we have a workbook for that. You're going to have something else that you're documenting things down really focusing on observations rather than opinions. So what are the observations about your children? 
before a visit, after a visit, right? So what are the incidents that have happened either during the relationship or now during visitation or things like that? And so you're going to document not just in this journal, but you're going to use your communication through your co-parenting app as documentation. So you really need to focus on how you communicate about the children and only the children through that app, because that's documentation. You're going to need to have a good timeline for your attorney to be able to show the patterns and show what's going on. So having some sort of timeline is really helpful. And actually from a therapeutic perspective, if you can do it with a therapist that is well-trained, that understands domestic violence and narcissistic abuse, it can be really healing as well. And then you also really need to focus on documenting financials and having evidence of the financial pieces of things. So that is just a piece of the what do I do before? So really, I think as important as documentation is knowing what to expect. So I do want to share some of the Debbie Downer stuff about what to expect if you are going through divorce you know, in family court with a narcissistic and abusive partner or ex-partner, because when you know what to expect, it won't hit you as hard and you can then mitigate what comes your way, if that makes sense. So family court with a narcissistic ex is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is not going to just be a one and done. You get temporary orders, you go to permanent orders, all done. And it's nicely, uh, you know, tied with a bow. Unfortunately, this takes a lot of time. And if they are not happy, there will be motions filed. If your children are put in an unsafe position, you will be filing motions. So this is a long-term deal. Unfortunately, our family court system is not well-educated on domestic violence, narcissistic abuse, and oftentimes they don't even use the statutes that they have available to them and they should be using when we look at child's best interests in their orders or in their decisions. So we do need to know about this because it will help us decide what evidence we're bringing forth. So something you really need to be aware of and have a good handle on is the fact that your ex-partner is going to share false narratives and lies about you in the courtroom, in reports, in summaries, you know, anywhere and everywhere, there will be false narratives about you. And so you really need to understand what those are and how to stomach them. And then more importantly, how to refute them with evidence. So I recently did an episode specifically on this, on the false narratives, and that is episode 32. And so if you aren't totally sure what I'm talking about, or you want a little bit more clarification and in-depth, go check out that episode. But really, there are specific narratives that they will use. It's the narcissistic blueprint is what I like to call it. So the number one is parental alienation. They will say that you are gatekeeping the children, partly because they don't have a good relationship with the child or the child does not feel safe with them. So they will turn this around and say that all of that is your fault. They will say you are mentally unstable. They will say that you maybe use alcohol or other substances, that you are only after their money, that you are a vindictive ex. 
there's a lot more that goes into that in how to refute that, but that is really important to learn. So go back to episode 32 to learn more about that. You are going to second guess yourself all the time. Am I making the right decision? Should I settle? Is this a battle worth fighting? Was I too strong in my statements? Did I testify a specific way, right? You're going to second guess yourself all the time. And so give yourself grace. No one has taught us how to do this specifically. We were not trained in these things. So you do need to give yourself grace around this and give yourself grace when you feel like giving up because at times you will feel like giving up, especially if it seems like it's motion after motion after motion and you're getting financially drained. So the reason I bring up these Debbie Downer pieces is because you need to be able to know they're coming potentially so that when they get there, you're not shocked and depressed and can't get out of bed. So something else before you head into court is really focusing on if you are lucky enough to have the finances is creating a really strong, safe relationship with your attorney. This is really, really important that you trust your attorney because their job is to really help you understand what's going on, help you understand their strategy, but also they need to be willing to listen and hear what you really want in your fears and fight for your why as well. So having a really good relationship with your attorney is important. I think, again, before you head into court, thinking about the fact that you can, in my opinion, unless you have the most amazing attorney that knows how to do all the things around domestic violence and narcissistic abuse, is that in court, you only get to be a little bit human. So it's really important when you're not in court to find times where you get to be your authentic human self. If you need to cry and cry and cry, you need a place for that. If you need to feel really angry because of the unfairness of what you're going through, because of the time lost, you need a place to do that. And court is not that place. And so finding times outside of that, before you head into court, where you get to share that, that could be in therapy, that could be with safe family and friends, that could be in a journal, that could be on your own. There's lots of ways to do that, but it really is important to find that space. And then what skills do you have, or are you learning, or do you need to learn in order to calm your shit down? You will be anxious. You will be. You'll be anxious thinking about court. You'll be anxious because your ex did not provide all the financial documents. They're late with all their documents. They're lying left and right. You're going to be anxious. So finding skills to regulate your your nervous system. So that fight or flight experience, or if you drop down into freeze, which is more that shut down depression feeling, you need some skills for that. Therapy is a great place to learn those skills, but I also, let me see, uh, episode 11 can help you learn how to regulate your nervous system with some like tangible things that you can put in place. So these are all things you need to be able to do before you ever head into the courtroom or 
in between. So say you've had temp orders and now you've got six months in between temporary orders and permanent orders and you need to maintain your calm, but you also need to get prepared. These are all the things that you're doing. But let's talk about during your court hearing. What can you do? How do you survive this? And so one, I'm going to bring back up that relationship with your attorney and your attorney's job. It is your attorney's job to paint the picture of what you and your children have experienced so that the judge can see it and understand. So do you see why it's so important to trust your attorney? Because as you're testifying, I'm going to give you some tips to testifying here in a minute, but as you're testifying, it is likely you're going to want to give explanations and clarify when the opposing attorney asks you a yes or no question. And they're doing this on purpose, right? To not allow you to clarify your side. So it's really important to trust that your attorney is going to see these things and can then when they do follow-up questioning for you, they can allow you to address it. So again, your attorney's job is to present the story with evidence and facts to show how you and your children are being affected, mostly just how your children are being affected. The courts don't typically care about your experience of abuse, which is super stupid and sad, but it's true. And then really focusing on what is the opposing counsel's job? Okay, their whole goal is to manufacture your crazy in the courtroom. So they are working for your partner and birds of a feather flock together. They will find someone probably pretty similar to them. If they're aggressive, they'll find someone aggressive, right? If they're passive aggressive, they'll find an attorney that seems passive aggressive. But their job is to beat you down on the stand and make you look not credible and make you, I say manufacture your crazy, make you present in a way that fits what their false narrative is of you. That's their job. And so as frustrating and frustrating might not be a strong enough word for this, it might be more like enraging as that is, it's really helpful to know that going in to testimony and into court. So when you are testifying, here are some tips to testifying. So number one, anytime you're asked a question, take a breath, count to three or four before you answer. Because if your attorney needs to object to something, then you need to give them a moment to do that. It will also allow you with that deep breath to lower your heart rate and calm yourself down and slow yourself down so you don't automatically react and you're able to respond. So that's tip number one. Tip number two is answer what is asked. Like I mentioned before, if they ask you a yes or no question, you answer with a yes or no. You could maybe answer with a, it depends, or that's a gray area, but I have to say yes, or any such way that you've practiced with your attorney so that they know to follow up with questions later. That leads me into tip number three is it's really important to practice, practice, practice with your attorney. 
And if you do not have the funds to practice with an attorney, then find an advocate, find a support group similar to the Rising Beyond community, find a therapist that understands family court. You can go into family court and where your judge is presiding and you can watch their hearings so that you know a little bit more what to expect because you need to, you know, have as much information as possible as you go into this. So if you can't practice with your attorney, those are some other possible ways. You can ask for clarification if needed. And so if you don't understand a question, ask for clarification. Don't just try and wing it. And then here's a very interesting, tangible thing you can do. And I've seen it help so many of the women I work with is to bring a heavier coat, like a pea coat into court where you are going to fold it in half and put it across your legs as you're sitting with your feet grounded flat on the floor, which for some of us, I'm only five feet tall. So that makes it really difficult. But that's the goal is feet flat on the floor, heavy coat draped over your legs, because what that is going to do is going to help ground you to the here and now. And it acts almost like a weighted blanket or a weighted lap pad. And so it can be really calming. And then, you know, kind of with that, something to prepare for is how can you mute your reactions when a lie is told about you on the stand? So even though you now know that they will have a false narrative on the stand, they're going to lie about you in some way on the stand. Sometimes they come out and you cannot even believe the ridiculousness of the lie and your jaw is going to drop. And so instead of allowing your jaw to drop, I need you to be able to mute that response a little bit. And then one other kind of tip, and this is not just for during court, but kind of the whole process before and kind of during, I just thought of it, but really focus on if there is a perceived win, you can give your ex. So you are choosing battles. What is important to you? What is your line in the sand, right? Like that's the goal for before you head in. So hopefully, fingers crossed, you could actually settle so you don't have to testify. But knowing their perceived win, what are they after? And giving them something that you don't care as much about because you care so much more about something else can be really helpful. And I believe I have a blog article that I've written on this. So we will post the link to that in the show notes. So you've gotten through your court hearing. What can you do in the after to survive this? Because it can be a horrific and horrible experience. So you do need to kind of set up an after plan, aftercare plan for a court hearing. So first, I just want to make it really overt that it is possible that you need to have a safety plan in place. If your partner perceives a huge loss. This is a time where things can get scarier for you. So if you need to stay with a family member that night, have other plans, make sure you're with people, creating a safety plan when they've had a huge loss in court is really, really important. And so if you aren't sure how to do that or what you might need to do, go to your you know nearest advocacy agency They have people that can really help you safety plan. And then setting up your support afterwards. So who in your inner circle of support can you put around you 
that day of, day after, week after court, especially if the judge has not made a ruling. We're seeing, at least here in Colorado, we're seeing judges take longer if there's a lot of evidence to put forth their ruling. And so you might go two weeks after court not knowing what the ruling will be. And so really having the right people around you, scheduling a therapy session within the week after a court hearing can be really helpful just to give you a place to process that experience and to help you find ways to maybe compartmentalize the experience if you need to. If you got to go to work, you got to take care of your babies. You can't be thinking about it 24-7. So they can help you compartmentalize that. They can help you process what you need to process. They can help you set up kind of a self-care plan. And again, there's like the eye roll of like, nope, my plan is not to go get a mani-pedi after a court hearing. Nope, I'm talking about the basics, making sure you're eating, making sure you're eating well, making sure you are getting some movement with your body, but more so making sure you are connecting with your why, which for the majority of people I work with is their children. So finding times in the after where you can connect in some way to your children or other things that bring you joy. If you have a hobby or you love swimming or you, you know, whatever you love to do, really making a point to do that in the after, because it can be really, really helpful. And then guess what? You may have to, in a short period of time, regroup and start the process over. And so what did you learn from this first hearing or second hearing that you can now tailor your preparation for later? And so that is so hard to think like, oh my gosh, it's not over. Can't I have a break? You can have a break. You can have a little bit of a break and it's possible you may have to regroup and do the same thing again. And so again, having the right support people around you is key. So I know that you can survive family court. I know sometimes it is more horrific than living within the abusive relationship. And gosh, do I wish that family court professionals and the media and people in this world understood that, wow, I just left an abusive relationship. And yet the family court process was worse than staying in an abusive relationship, right? That's so telling. I wish that more people understood that or knew that. So hopefully this is helpful. Please reach out if you have any thoughts or comments. And if you know someone who is going through a, and I'm doing air quotes here, a high conflict divorce that's, or a really nasty divorce, most likely there is abuse. Most likely it's domestic violence, narcissistic abuse. So share this episode with them, share the podcast with them. I'd really appreciate it. And I think they would too. So Thank you so much for listening and supporting me and other survivors. And I will be with you again on the next episode of the Rising Beyond podcast. If you're healing from relationship abuse and are looking for support and sisterhood during this journey, I'd love to invite you to the Rising Beyond community where you will get expert guidance, connection with others going through similar experiences, and a safe place where you'll always feel seen, heard, and believed. To learn more and to join, 
go to www.risingbeyondpc.com. We'd love to be a part of your healing journey.